Warning, the contents of this episode may be disturbing for some listeners. Explicit violence and sensitive topics are described. It may not be suitable for all audiences, especially children. Come gather around the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. So remember, like I've mentioned this a couple times, that we had the ice storm in February and mm-hmm. um, I was forced to read a book because there was no electricity or internet and I had nothing else to do. Yeah, you read a book and then that inspired me to read a book. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, good. Well, the book that I read was called The Demon of Brownsville Road by Bob Cranmere and Erica Manfred. And it's actually a pretty interesting story. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do my episode today on that book scary it's kind of like a big book review but i'm going to tell you some of the parts but here's the thing it's a good read um it's an it's a well-written book and that helps yeah it really does i zipped through it in one day it's not even 300 pages um it's 280 pages wait there's an epilogue it's 284 pages (laughs) did you read the epilogue i did okay well there's also his personal journey it's 286 pages and then with the appendix. <laughs> oh, it's just a mere pamphlet. It's Anybody three, could just speed read through that. It's a 304-page book. You can get through it. No problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good book. It's well-written, and it's a really interesting story because this guy, it's its basically about this guy, Bob Cranmere, and his battle with a demon in his house. He lived in Brentwood, which is a suburb of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So the whole time of you guys hear me referencing he, I'm probably talking about this Bob Cranmere person. Uh, Bob said he first noticed the house when he was just a kid. So he grew up in this suburb of Pittsburgh. He would ride his bicycle to his friend's house down Brownsville Road, which is a road with great historical context, but I'm not going to really go into that now. But he said when he would drive by this particular house, he would just sit on his bike and stare at it because he just thought it was so gorgeous. And he really wanted to go inside. But as a kid, he never got the opportunity to go inside. After he grew up, he joined the army and he moved away. By the time he was done in the service, he had a wife and kids. So they decided to move back to his hometown. In total, he would have four kids. The oldest was his daughter, Jessica, followed by three boys, Bobby, David, and Charlie. His mother tells him that his dream house is going to go up for sale. It's not on the market just yet, but would he be interested in checking it out? And he's like, hell yeah, I love that house. So she arranges it. And Bob and his wife, Lisa, they go to the house. Now, I don't think they had all their kids just yet. I think they only had two, just Jessica and Bobby, I Mm -hmm. think, when they first moved in. Perhaps David, the baby, was a baby at the time. But then they got busy christening each room in the (laughs) house. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So um, they go down to the house on 3406 Brownsville Road. They get there. And I can say that because I'll explain at the end. Um, They go down to this house. 
That's the address for those of you who are interested. It's on the internet. It's published. So you really want everybody to show up at yeah. this house? No, it's a business now. That's why oh, okay. I'm comfortable. It's kind of it's kind okay. of a business now. So okay, so they go down there, and the house is huge. It's 4,400 square feet with three stories and 14 rooms. They get there, right? And there's this couple that lives there named the McHenrys. And the McHenrys are a little bit odd. They're somewhat standoffish. They're a little bit short. They keep giving each other nervous looks. (laughs) And they're a little bit pissy that they're going to sell and move this house because they've done so much work on it, but they've just decided that they have to go move into the city. For her I wonder job. why. For her, they say for her job, but they, oh, okay. but they're they're acting very strangely. And Bob and Lisa kind of pick up on this, and they're kind of like, mm, okay. So they're giving them a tour. They're going throughout the whole house. They go down into the creepy basement, and they're looking around the basement with the McHenrys with them, and they realize that Bobby, their son, has disappeared. Lisa's like, I don't know where Bobby is. And so Mrs. McHenry goes upstairs and she finds Bobby and he's screaming at the top of the stairs and he's all freaked out. And she runs over to him. She sweeps him up in her arms and she says, "Um, are you okay? Did you see anything? What? <laughs> yeah. Are you okay? Did you see anything? She's asking this two-year-old boy, which is a weird thing to ask, right? Very weird. So there's flag number one. Actually, this might be fun to have a flag counting game. Yeah. Are they red flags? Big, bright red flags. Okay. Yes. Flag number one. Flag one. She later even snaps at Lisa about being a better at keeping track of her kids. Like, you need to keep track of your kids. And she's like, well, didn't you have kids? And she's like, yeah, my boys never went anywhere or something. Oh. Like, just real, like. She was one of those mothers that locked him in the basement. Yeah, probably. Did you see anything when my boys escaped from the closet? Yeah, I don't know. Mr. McHenry happens to say to Bob quite casually that they had had mass in the house, Catholic mass. Oh. And Bob is like, that's weird because usually it requires very special circumstances from the Catholic church to have mass anywhere but the church. Mm -hmm. So to him, that's red flag number two. The McHenrys belong to the Irish Catholic branch of the church, so perhaps it's different in that branch. But he was like, that's really strange that the Catholic church would let you conduct mass in your home. It's a Mm -hmm. weird big deal, apparently. Yeah. I don't know much about Catholicism, but, you know, it was it was kind of an interesting thing that caught his attention. They went through the rest of the house. They loved everything about it. They make an offer to the McHenrys for 20,000 less than what the McHenrys were asking and the McHenrys took it immediately. No Whoa. negotiations, no, no coming back and forth. They're like, fine, we'll take it. I wonder why they felt that they could lowball it like that. I, I don't know. Maybe it was the time, but, you know, he probably thought they were going to be negotiating. So he mm-hmm. was going to come in with a lowball offer, expecting right. them to counter and back and forth and back and forth. Nope. They said, yes, please. We will take your money and enjoy the house. That's flag number three. Flag number three. Flag number three, they're not negotiating. All of you house hunters out there, if you get accepted on your first offer, there's something wrong with the house. Don't do it. Don't buy it. If you learn anything from this show, it's that you need to have them counter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, anyway. The family moves into the house on December 12th, 1988. After buying the house, Bob mentioned to a coworker where he lived, and his coworker said, oh, 
you bought the haunted house. Oh, <laughs> no. Flag number four. <laughs> he goes, yeah, you bought the haunted house. And Bob is like, no, 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 no. Because Bob remembered when he was a kid, there was a haunted house on Brownsville Road, but it wasn't the house that he bought. It was a house down the street. Oh, oh. So this so, whole street is filled with. We kind of. Yeah. This all gets. This all, yeah. Okay. So so he s- explains to his coworker, no, 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 no. You're thinking of the other house. He goes, no, it's your house. Your house is the one that's haunted. He's like, no. He's like, yeah, trust me. Your house is the one that's oh, haunted. Oh, no. <laughs> so there you go. Flag number four. So then. Bob and Lisa's son, Bobby, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. who had freaked out and, and Mrs. McHenry had been like, what did you see? He got put into the blue bedroom of the house and they noticed something peculiar right away with this. He wouldn't sleep in his bed at night. Instead, he chose to go into the closet, shut the door, turn on the light and sleep on the floor of his closet. Yeah. You know, I used to do that as a kid. I thought it was the funnest place. Yeah. They to kinda... build like a little secret area yeah they kind of chalked it up to he's just being a just kid. a fun mm-hmm. little thing right but when they asked him why he wasn't sleeping in his bed he said his bedroom scared him at night Ooh. this lasted for about a year and and i think bobby was two at the time maybe from two to three so the spring after they moved in bob was planting some flowers in his yard when he discovered a box buried deep in the ground so he dug up the box and he opened it up and inside of it was a set of rosary beads and other religious items. It was a Dybbuk box. <laughs> the former owners oh, left a Dybbuk box. Good call. I don't think it was a Dybbuk, but I but he did discover it. And it was filled with like different religious relics or I think wow. mostly Catholicism relics of some kind. Anyway, he think this is kind of yeah. weird, right? So he yeah. calls up the McHenry's and he's like, hey, nice of them to leave a forwarding phone number. He goes, hey, you guys, um, I was uh, planting some flowers in my yard and I dug up this box and it's got all this stuff in it, like a rosary and, and all these other items. You need this back. And they're like, put it back. And he goes, what? He's like, just put it back. Don't ask us any questions. Just shut that box back up, <laughs> put it back on the ground and just l- leave it where you found it. And he's like, really? What? Don't ask any questions. Just put the box back where you found it. Freaky. Flag number five or uh, six? I don't know. You were supposed Six. to keep track. Oh, let me. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to keep track. I'm just giving you shit. All right. I think it's flag number. We're going to say flag number five. Flag five or six, somewhere in there, in that general vicinity. He puts it back and reburies it and moves on with his life. Then the next thing he notices is that there is a closet under the staircase that he likes to hang his coat in. Inside this closet is a lamp. Yeah. Oh, and a little boy with glasses. No, it's not. Harry Potter does not live in his closet, Carol. Darn it. You're going to need to work on letting Harry go. No. (laughs) Not ready. At least put Hermione in there or um, Ron or something. Hermione with Harry. (laughs) (laughs) Seven minutes in heaven with Hermione and Harry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry. Um, In the closet. In the closet is a lamp with a crystal lampshade and a long pole chain so that he can turn the light off and on when he goes in there, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things he noticed is that when he would go into the closet to get his jacket, that chain was wrapped up either around the light or it was wrapped up around the metal tabs that hold the shade in place. I wonder if it's the style of the pull cord because 
I've been finding that too in my house where I'll go and the string that hangs down from the light is put up above the fixture. Um, I wonder if it's also a, around the year that the house was built. What year was your house built? Do you know? 1909. That's when theirs was built. <gasps> oh my 1909. God. And I think mine's haunted too. And that's It's the same ghost. Is it? Do you live at 36? No, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah his house was built in 1909 yeah but i i get super freaked when i find the cords up above yeah. like that yeah i'm like who's doing that he, why is it doing that he thought the same thing and he started to confront lisa his wife about it he's like can you stop messing with the pull chain in the closet and she's like i'm not touching it and their two kids are too small to reach it so he had no idea why it kept getting wrapped up around the light mm -hmm. pole he's like that's really weird he put a jacket in, close the door, wait two seconds, open it, and it would be all wrapped up. It would be weird. Yeah. It's yeah. so weird. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you also need to work on um, exercising your ghost then for sure because that's mm -hmm. definitely one of the signs. <laughs> it's flag number six, folks. Uh, flag yeah. number six. Uh, that's a strong six. Pull cords. Mm-hmm. So eventually, Lisa and Bob moved into Bobby's bedroom, the blue bedroom. And the reason they did this is I think that they were um, remodeling their own bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I think they moved him to a different room. So during this time, things get really weird for Lisa. She starts to become overwhelmed by everything. She's really listless. She has no energy. She can't focus on anything. She just can't seem to accomplish anything. She actually ends up quitting her job. Just oh. so she can stay home and take care of the kids. And she just seems to just not be able to get anything done. She's just kind of a zombie walking around. And Bob was a little bit worried about her because he didn't understand why she just was so kind of down and depressed and, and overwhelmed by anything. It's all the stairs that it's, she has to climb. It's all those stairs, exactly. And chasing her kids yeah. that could be in any of those 14 rooms. That's right. So she she was just kind of out of it. And then one day, Bob comes home and he's looking through some of their uh, mail. And mm -hmm. he's finding all these letters from the bank, letting him know that his house is in foreclosure. Oh, nice. She, Lisa, was in charge of paying the bills and the mortgage. Oh, no. She hadn't paid the mortgage in six to eight months. God, Lisa, how could you? So they had six to eight months worth of unpaid bills and letters telling him their house was almost going to be foreclosed by the bank. He, she had paid the bills for the utilities. So they had electricity, they had heat, they had television, all those things. So he didn't realize anything was wrong because she paid the bills that would make it seem like everything was normal in the household. So he was like, what? You haven't paid the bills? So she, he confronts her and she just falls apart. She's like, I can't do anything. I can't get anything done. I don't know what's wrong with me. He ends up putting her into a hospital for two weeks oh. to be treated for exhaustion and anxiety and, and all these mental health issues because she's simply depleted and he cannot explain it. And so he and his mom kind of team up and they figure out the bill situation and they stop the foreclosure and they pay all the back pay and they save the house from being taken by the bank. So yeah, he was a little bit disturbed by that. So when Lisa gets out of the hospital, she comes back to the house, they move out of the blue room and back to their old bedroom. And she does start to slowly recover at this point. Mm. Later on, Bob remembers that another family who had owned the home prior even to the McHenry's had also lost the house to foreclosure. <gasps> So, oh, I wonder what numerology, what the address adds up to. 
The address is 3604, so 7 and 6 means it would be 13. Uh, oh, na, 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 na. 13. 13. Uh. <laughs> Lucky number 13. And then if you reduce that, it's 4, mm -hmm. which is not the card of poverty. But sometimes, like, you'll have numerology add up to... It's like the death a, card a in tarot. But it is the death card in tarot. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'll go into that later. You know, you always want to check your address of the house you live in, because if you want a certain kind of home to cater to your lifestyle, those home addresses are very important to calculate the number of it. Oh, And if you want more information on that, you should do I can do an episode, episode on yeah. that later. That, I would um, like to know that. And I used to be like, really weird. I'd walk around the neighborhood and calculate everybody's home address and be like, oh, an artist lives there. Oh, a single person lives there. Oh, chaos is in that house. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. During the time that Bob and his family were getting adjusted to their new house, Bob ran for county commissioner in his county and he won. Ooh. The job was not without its ups and downs, and his whole family received some negative backlash for their father's very public job. For one thing, he was a Republican. Oh, that's why. And he ran in a mostly Democratic county. He was not a friend to the local police department, and he made a few natural enemies among them along the way, which made others in the county not treat his family with much favor. So when stuff happened in the house or started to happen in the house, it was just another thing that was happening to the family overall. They were dealing with all this sort of not being very popular in their neighborhood. And now this weird stuff starts to happen in their house. And so the energy is starting to escalate a little bit to the point where they're starting to realize, wait a minute. There's something here. There's something wrong here. Mm -hmm. So it started off with the basic haunted house, classic haunting stuff. Like the basement lights and the radio would be on in the morning after they turned them off and went to bed at night. They'd come down, the lights would be on, the radio would be on. There was a chair that was against the wall in the basement. And when they would come down in the morning, it would be in front of the furnace. Ew. So they're moving. Furniture was getting moved yes. around. Um, so then they would start hearing noises like someone walking around, knocking on their walls and their doors. Mm -hmm. um, and then they actually started to see apparitions of a dark figure floating around their house. Oh, no. So no, they no. knew there was something in the house. But because most of the incidents were occasional and benign, they didn't really worry about it too much. They were just like, okay, so we have a ghost. So whatever. Right. They just, they didn't feel intense fear over it. No, they didn't. But Bob did start to notice that he would become enraged over the littlest of things and that his kids would get into really terrible fights. So they're all really stressed out and they were turning on each other. But it was hard at that time for Bob to really understand that it wasn't just the outward stress, the going through mm -hmm. the outward stress of, of their lives outside the house. It was actually inside the house that was causing these things to happen. And he just didn't realize what, what it was that was the instigator of it. As time went on, every member of the family would see the black shadowy figure, which they thought looked like the Grim Reaper. 
Wow. Yeah. That is what the Grim Reaper does look like. Yeah. Except for sometimes he carries a scythe. That's true. I don't think, I don't know if they said they saw a scythe. I don't remember that part in the book, but um, yeah, they did describe him Grim Reaper-y like. Um, it would also make itself known by emitting a horrible, terrible, disgusting smell that helped the family track where it was in the house. Um, the smell would move from room to room or just becoming from one spot in a room like a corner or something and it wasn't coming from bobby's meal of hot dogs no okay. nope i don't think so they described the smell sometimes it smelled like urine sometimes like burning rubber mixed with sulfur yep sulfur yep and sometimes like uh, amniotic fluid which is the fluid that surrounds a fetus Ooh. sometimes the smell would be so bad it would make them physically sick it makes me sick just thinking about it. I know. But the burning rubber mixed with sulfur, obviously Satan, right? That, yes. So that is flag number seven. Because yes. anytime you smell the sulfur, that's coming straight from the bowels of hell. There you go. Yep. And though they believe that their oldest son, Bobby, the one in the blue room, was tortured by the spirit the most, their daughter, Jessica, was also tortured, Carol. She experienced sleep paralysis <gasps> on a regular basis since she was 12 years old in poor that house. Poor Melissa. Jessica. I mean, poor Jessica. <laughs> poor Jessica. Poor Jessica. And her sleep paralysis. Yeah. There that you go. That is the worst. It's the worst. When Bobby turned 15, he went from being a somewhat well-adjusted kid to turning essentially goth and dyeing his hair bright colors and listening to death metal. Now, I don't care. No, that's fine. That's totally normal. That yep. Just because you turn goth doesn't mean anything's wrong. But in yeah. this case, it, it did start, start him down a path that wasn't very good. Um, he was once again living in the blue room when this transition into a goth kid happened. He continued to spiral out of control. He was disrespectful to his parents. He even attacked his mom when she tried to get him out of bed. He, <laughs> he would take their car without permission and without having a driver's license. And he wouldn't come home for days at a time. He was, oh. in, he was into tattoos, makeup, and black clothes. And he eventually stopped going to school at all. And he just stayed in his room. He covered the windows and he stayed in the darkness listening to rock music. He even cut himself. At one point, they had to take him to the hospital in an ambulance because he cut himself so deeply. Then one night, after Bob had taken Bobby and Charlie, who was his youngest son, to a baseball game, they spent the whole day together bonding as father and sons and they arrived back home. After being back in the house for about only an hour, Bob reprimanded Bobby for leaving his bathroom in disarray. So Bobby attacked, physically attacked Bob. Ugh. As Bob was trying to fend him off, Charlie, the youngest son, who was also becoming darkly influenced, saw the scuffle and tried attacking Bob too. So both of his kids are physically attacking what? him. What? Over a dirty bathroom? Over a bathroom because he, he was saying, no, you cannot leave my bathroom this way. And then they both go after him. So eventually the police were called and Bob was arrested and taken from the home. <gasps> yeah. It became a media circus when the news hit that the former chairman of the Board of County Commissioners had been arrested on a domestic violence incident. It was a smear campaign because he's, <laughs> he's in politics. Office. His kids were in on it. Yeah. Sadly, at the time that this happened, the boys weren't even sorry. They were happy that their dad was kicked out of the house. 
Wow. Yeah, pretty bad. After a really nice day of bonding. Right. Bob felt that the entity was turning every one of his family members against him because he was the dominant alpha male in the house. If the entity could get rid of him, it could weaken an attack and possibly possess the other family members. So he's right now thinking, okay, my house is haunted. Yeah, he's starting to put the pieces together like, okay, I think that this scene is starting to really directly influence what how we're feeling. Eventually, both Bobby and Charlie's angry behavior would become so severe that they would also spend time in a psychiatric hospital. So flag number seven, angry behavior. Or is it eight now? I think it's flag number seven. Okay. Angry behavior. Angry behavior. Angry uh, behavior. Yes. It's definitely a sign. Yes. Bob knew that whatever was in the house was the real problem behind what was going on with his family. He tried to sell the house, but that didn't really pan out. Plus, he felt a lot of guilt about selling this to another family and having them have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So he decided he was going to fight this entity. So he invites over a Catholic priest and they start performing mass in the house, just like the McHenry's had done. Mm -hmm. But it does not help. In fact, it makes it much, much worse. The entity would move all the pictures sideways on the walls, turn off their alarm clocks. So they had to set multiple alarm clocks to make sure that they would wake up in the morning. It would turn the iron on. Their computers would not work. Anything that was electrical had issues. Bobby was still acting now and he was being unruly. Bob had to call the police on him a few times to have it on the record, but the police now understood that Bobby was having the issues, so they were less inclined to go after Bob. But I think he still wanted that as a record in case he needed it for future whatever, but he wanted the police to know that Bobby was still showing this kind of bad behavior. Yeah, and anytime you have electrical issues in a home, it could be electrical, but that's also a flag. Yeah, that is a flag, yes. So as I said earlier, Bob had been a somewhat high-level politician in the city of Pittsburgh. He had been the chairman of the Board of County Commissioners, and he was actually personal friends with the mayor of Pittsburgh. He was close enough to the mayor that he told him what was going on in his home. Basically, you know, I have a demon in my house. So the mayor is like, cool, I'm going to talk to the bishop of Pittsburgh about the situation. The bishop got Bob connected with a priest named Father Ron, who was working with an intuitive named Connie. Father Ron advised Bob to buy gold cross necklaces for every family in his house and throw pinches of salt in the corners of all the rooms, especially the blue bedroom. The family members would all wear the crosses while they slept. But for some reason, in the morning, Bobby's necklace would be on the floor and the chain wasn't big enough for it to have come over his head, but it would just be laying on the floor, the clasp still closed. <gasps> So it somehow came off of him in the middle of the night, and he, he wouldn't remember how or why that happened. Yeah. So, so whatever it was, had to undo it and re-clasp it somehow to get it off his neck. Unless it was some kind of magic. I don't know. There's a lot of details in this story that I didn't include. Mm -hmm. We'd be here for days if sure. I could tell you everything, because it is quite exceptional the things that they went through and the level of detail he goes into the book about the things they experienced so here you guys i i want you to buy the book and read the book because the book is really good so i'm not going to go to that level of detail because there's not enough time but one morning they woke up and they found bobby's necklace on the floor and the cross was bent in half <sighs> after that they moved bobby out of the blue room 
And I'm like, they should have moved him out of the blue room a long time ago. Yeah, it's weird they call it the blue room. Because it was all done up in blue. And like blue wallpaper and blue stuff everywhere. Yeah. So after a while, the demons started to attack them even more fiercely. The family would wake up with puncture wounds and scratches on their bodies. The demon also switched his focus from Bobby to Charlie. Charlie was the youngest son. And David, the middle son, didn't really get much attention from the demon for whatever reason. The middle child never gets any attention from anyone. Too bad. Yeah. The demon didn't even care about the middle child. He just, boom, firstborn, lastborn, secondborn. Yeah. David, whatever. So, <laughs> poor middle child. I know. So, he switched his attention to Charlie. Charlie also started on a downward spiral of depression and cutting and suicidal thoughts and sleep paralysis. Bob continued to seek guidance from Father Ron and he talked to him every single night. Father Ron, going off the information he got from Intuitive Connie, told Bob that the blue room, the basement where the furnace was, and the closet under the stairs were the key places for the demon in the house. Then Father Ron told Bob that the house that Bob had originally thought was the real haunted house on Brownsville Road when he was a kid was also connected to his house. Whoa. Yeah. That is super interesting. Yeah. He said that the man that owned that house did very bad things in Bob's current house. So you guys, if you are sensitive to or offended by details relating to abortions, please fast forward the next minute or so. This is not, this part is not for you. Okay. I'm fast forwarding. Okay. Carol, I'll come Call see you. Call me back in, in I'll, later. I'll come see you in a bit. Okay. Okay. So as it turns out, a doctor that Bob referred to as Dr. M had lived in the house down the street, but used Bob's house to perform illegal abortions in the 1920s and the 1930s. The doctor would hang his white hat, gloves, and cane in the closet under the stairs. Then he would perform the abortions upstairs in the blue bedroom. He liked to use Bob's house in particular because the driveway would curve around behind the back of the house, which meant no one could see the women coming in and leaving the house. Mm -hmm. So it was for their discretion. Father Ron also believed that a few of the women died in the house. He said the doctor was terrible to these women and usually drunk when he performed (gasps) the abortions. Mm -hmm. He made many mistakes and he did not keep the area or tools sanitary. Father Ron also said, quote, we should expect the spirit to come back at us strongly at some point, and we should expect to actually see blood running down the walls caused by the demon, end quote. And how would he know that? Because it happened at the other house? Because the intuitive. So here's the interesting part about the story. Father Ron and the intuitive Connie were ne- never even went to Bob's house. But Connie was able to see all of this. She was able to intuit all of this information. That's super powerful. Yeah, very powerful. So she's telling Father Ron to tell him the next plan the demon has is blood running down your walls. Wow. Yeah. But the best part of this part of the story is Bob said Father Ron would always end his communication with, quote, may you have a gentle and joy-filled day, end quote. (laughs) Which is so funny. You have a demon in your house. He's torturing your family. And he's going to make blood start running down the walls of your home. May you have a gentle and joy-filled day. (laughs) That sounds like Southwest Airlines. Anytime I fly. You I'm might gonna, die, but please have a wonderful day. I just like that he ended things on a happy note. Yeah. Like, yes, we know you're going through hell, but have a gentle and joyful day. <laughs> so funny. So as the activity continued in the home, 
Bob ended up getting a team of priests involved. And for the next two years, they helped Bob and his family fight this demon. This is from 2003 to 2006. So did the Catholic Church actually approve an exorcism on yes, this home? Yes, you're jumping ahead of oh. my story. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Holly. It's all right. Bob knew that if he was going to get rid of this demon, he would have to fight him in the blue bedroom. So Bob would play the film, The Passion of the Christ, in the blue room over and over <laughs> and over again constantly and every night after dinner he would gather up his bible and his crucifix and his holy water and he would march up the stairs to the blue bedroom where he knew the demon was waiting for him he would read the scripture and he could smell it in there and he would just read at it and he would throw the holy water on it and he would just chase it around the room and he said it was exhausting he said some nights the demon would win some nights i would win and how would he know it was ending like the end of the fight did somebody referee go okay I think he could tell that the smell would disappear. Okay. I think that's what it was. So the demon was still fighting back, though. It would push Lisa and Jessica down the stairs, causing very bad injuries. In fact, it even pushed Jessica when she was pregnant. They also started to find puddles of blood in the bathroom. Father Ron told Bob to wipe the blood up with a paper towel and bury it out by the rose bush in the yard because that is where they believe the ashes of these dead children were scattered. So it's starting already, pools of blood. Yeah, pools of blood. He said that it was very important to clean his hands with holy water and sprinkle it on the floor where the blood had been. Father Ron told Bob that he needed to live a very normal life and to do all his day-to-day activities as normally as he could. He said it's very important that, this part's kind of funny, that you and Lisa have a lot of sex. Oh, yeah, that's odd. And it's kind of creepy coming from a father. But he said, quote, often as practical, the natural love between a husband and wife is a powerful tool against evil, which can't stand such natural relations as designed by God. Wow. And he must not know if succubuses that uh, are attracted (laughs) to that kind of thing. I don't know. But he said, just make sure you have a lot of sex. (laughs) So as the battle began to build to the final showdown, Bob said that he came home to find the blood running down the ceiling, down the walls, all the way to the floors, just as promised by Father Ron. He said it started on the top floor and it went all the way down to the third floor. Um, Every day they would find blood dripping down a different part of the house. So gross. So gross. So Bob had the blood tested by different labs to determine what it was. They were never able to figure out exactly what it was. They said it wasn't blood, but it did have human cells in it. Ew. They just weren't sure what it was. It was happening daily. And in the book, there's photos of the blood running down the walls and stuff. Obviously, this has a lot of parallels to another famous haunted house story, Amityville Horror. Yes. Very, very similar situation. The listlessness, the not wanting to leave the house in Amityville. They couldn't Mm -hmm. really do anything. They were fighting amongst each other all the time. The blood running down the walls. And Bob said, yeah, it was a lot like that. But it was worse in our situation because we didn't leave. We chose to stay and fight. We did not leave. So that was interesting what he said about that. Father Ron gave Bob the name of a group of researchers called the Penn State Paranormal Research Society. You may be heard of them from the reality show Paranormal State, which aired on oh. A&E from 2007 to 2011. I guess I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I watched that show. Father Ron thought it would be important to document what was happening in this home as evidence to the Catholic Church that an exorcism was needed to be performed. 
He thought that the Paranormal Research Society could document the haunting so they could present their findings to the church. Ryan Buell of the Penn State Paranormal Research Society and his team went to Bob's house on Brownsville Road and started to document what was happening in the house. The Penn State research team was working with their own psychic. She told them to go to the closet under the stairs as there was a space walled off that they needed to see. Bob knew right where this was, so he and the research team knocked down the plaster wall of the space. Inside, they found an amber stone, a small bird skeleton, three playing cards, which if you want to know what they are, Keen of Spades, the Queen of Hearts, and the Three of Hearts a Lego toy that belonged to one of Bob's kids, and an old hand-drawn image on crumpled paper of a happy family looking off the back porch at the sunset. But on the other side was, quote, a man's face with a big nose and a cigar in his mouth, a pig's head, a man laughing at him behind his back, and a snake coiled ready to bite the man, end quote. There was some speculation that one of the workmen that helped build the house had put a curse on the property because he was in love with the wife of the homeowner and that these drawings were related to this curse somehow. But by breaking into the spot under the stairs, they had actually found the demon's lair, which really pissed off the demon tremendously. And on a subsequent visit by the Penn State research team, the demon even physically attacked one of the members, scratching him on the forehead and drawing blood that ran down his face. Oh, man. Yeah. Finally, the Catholic Church brought in an exorcist from the Archdiocese of New York to perform an exorcism on the house. The name of this exorcist was Father James Labar, who had done an exorcism on 2020 and had been interviewed on many shows, as well as Geraldo Rivera. At the house, Father Labar, as well as Father Mike, who was another priest that had been helping Bob throughout the story, performed a Catholic prayer to bind and cast the demon out of the house. As Father Labar did his part of the ritual, the rest of the group that was present walked through and cleansed the house. So basically they walked around, they said prayers, they sprinkled holy water and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. This ritual deeply weakened the demon. And finally, on February 24th, 2006, They held mass once more in the house. They went down into the basement where they found the entity. They cornered it and they gave it one more final command to leave their house. As they continued to shout at it in the name of Jesus Christ, Bob said that the entity finally shrunk away and melted into the floor. It was finally over. A peace swept over him and the rest of the house. He said he believes that ultimately it was the cross of Jesus Christ that saved them. So after finally expelling the demon from the house, Bob talked to Father Ron about Connie, the intuitive he worked with on his home. Father Ron put Bob in touch with Connie, and she provided a much bigger backstory. She said that there had been a murder on his property before the house was ever even built. Bob later hired a ground-penetrating radar company who found what appeared to be four people buried horizontally in his front yard. Mm. Connie believed that an evil spirit that helped influence these initial murderers attached itself to the property, and once the house was built, it attached itself to the house. This entity also helped influence the abortions that took place on the property as it liked to target children. What a terrible I know. property. So Bob said that since that fateful day in 2006 when they finally got rid of it finally got rid of the entity altogether the house has been normal ever since he has turned the house into a bed and breakfast oh you can stay there you can stay there that's why i thought it's cool to tell everybody what the address is because yeah definitely because they're wanting they want tourism sure and 
probably no harm, no foul now because they got rid of the demon. Right. Well, let's hope that's still true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you and I visit, we bring our own demons with us. Mm, No Um, Ouija boards. Yeah, exactly. But it appears that Lisa is no longer with Bob. He is running the B&B with some chick named Claire. I did find a Lisa Cranmere in Pennsylvania on Facebook, so I think they just got divorced. I'm assuming that's what happened. Yeah. You don't pay the bills? (laughs) Take a hike over the hill, Jill. Bye. Bye, Lisa. Yeah. Um, He said numerous TV shows have been made about the house and it may be the book may be made into a movie. He said at the end of his interview on the paranormal files that he was reading the reviews of the book and he said most of them are really good. He said um, some of them are angry and he thinks it's because it challenges what people believe is true. He said it doesn't really matter what you believe. It happened. There is good and evil. They do exist. It's all true. <laughs> and that is the demon of Brownsville Road. So good. That's the whole shebang. Shebang, shebang. So what do you think? Road trip? All right. Well, thanks, that everybody. That really a great, yeah. creepy story, and Holly. And make sure if you are, live in the Pennsylvania area and you want to go stay at the Brownsville Road house, you can. Or if you want to read the book, The Demon of Brownsville Road by Bob Cranmer and Erica Manfred, you can get it on Amazon. That's yeah, where I got mine. Yeah, and if you do happen to stay at that inn, tell them Holly and Carol say <laughs> And that'll mean I, absolutely nothing to them. Yeah, they'll you like, say huh? that every time. <laughs> but someday yeah, it will. Someday, someday they'll someday be like, they'll be like, oh, Carol and Holly? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that's, thanks. That's great. They called here the other day and they harassed us a that's little bit. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> awesome. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. They started helping him to make... What the fuck is wrong with me? I don't know. Let's uh, take a break. Once Bob started working with Father Ron and Connie, they really started to help him. (laughs) I still can't get this. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted. guys be sure to follow us on instagram our handle is at fireside phantoms if you have a spooky story you would like to share with us send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode